and welcome, Misties, to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our, and hopefully your amusement. I am your little green man of a host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, little greenie. You're looking a little green today. Well, actually, I feel good. A little maybe peakish. It's a, maybe a little, it's... Oh, you're the little green whatever. Well, I was trying to tie it into today's show. Oh, yeah. Okay. And speaking of tying in today's show, hey, Goldie Ann, how do you throw a party for an alien? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. It's got to have, probably have something to do with out of this world. Close. Ah. You have to plan it. Oh, Jesus. Okay. But you were close. Mm-hmm. So you're getting there. I'm trying. You're trying. I'm just not a dad. No dad <laughs> jokes in me. Oh. Well, I'll, I will handle it for both of us then. To start off, I do want to say thank you to everyone. We just recently reached the 1,500 download milestone for our podcast. <laughs> Those were fireworks and oh. sound cannons, and I really have Excellent no idea job. what that was. Well, it's going to be interesting to hear how that sounds on the uh, recording. Yeah, you can cut it out, right? Yes. Okay, good. Well, thank you, everyone, very much for that. And as the podcast continues to grow, we are looking at ways to expand what we provide. We would appreciate any ideas or suggestions our listeners have. Just contact us on our various social media projects or email within the podcast at gmail.com. Now, today's episode contains a terrifying encounter between a family and unknown creatures that some members of the audience might find a bit unsettling. So please be forewarned. I'm excited. <laughs> you should be. We are storytellers who have gathered together on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little scared. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, Goldian, let's take a walk within the mist. During the evening of a hot Kentucky evening, a family became embroiled in a shooting encounter with unknown creatures, which would later be described as little green men. <laughs> the incident would later become one of the most famous and substantiated cases of contact with alien life forms in history. Today, we discuss the Hopkinsville Goblins. My mom was born in Kentucky. Oh, well then she, she may have been familiar with this story. Yeah. Well, the story is based on the Sutton's Farm, which was situated eight miles north of Hopkinsville in Christian County, and it was a peaceful place until, on the night of the 21st of August, 1955, the home had to defend itself against little strange men. These creatures were unlike anything the family had ever seen before or since. Everything that occurred was witnessed by 11 people. Wow. Eight adults and three children. And it was all one family? No. Okay. It was family and friends, but they were all together. Mm. This story would later encompass various law enforcement agencies as well as the military. What the heck? The experience was terrifying for the members of the household and to the rest of the world. This would become what by many considered the definition of an extraterrestrial visitation. What? When people talk about meeting extraterrestrials or aliens from outer space, this is kind of the framework of what most of those experiences are compared to. 
Why have I never heard of this? Because I haven't told you yet. <laughs> That's probably true. So, surprise, surprise. For more than 60 years, not one word of these accounts has changed, and it would all play out in just one evening. Chapter 1, The Light at the Well. A young man walked out of a remote country farmhouse and started walking towards the well located a few hundred yards away. His name was Billy Ray Taylor in his early 20s and he was visiting with friends. He and his 18-year-old wife, June, had made their way from Pennsylvania for the weekend on a mini-vacation. They were staying with Elmer Lucky Sutton, a friend with whom he had worked on a traveling carnival with. The night was quiet, with the night air attempting to cool off the day's earlier sweltering heat. The air felt good, especially after being in the trapped heat of the house he had just exited. He looked back, and it was a simple enough home with three rooms. The place didn't have running water, telephone, radio, or television. It was your basic old country farmhouse. It belonged to the matriarch of the family, 50-year-old widow, Glennie Langford, who lived there with her children, two adults and three younger children, aged 12, 10, and 7. On this night, the sons were there with their wives, Vera and Aileen. Also visiting was Aileen's brother, O.P. Baker. There had been 11 people all together in the confined space of the farmhouse. Unsurprisingly, the August air had become very heavy with heat and humidity. Everyone had just finished supper and were about to begin a game of cards in the parlor when Glennie announced that they had run out of water. Uh-oh. Well, during Billy... them old days. Well, it was simple enough for them to remedy. Billy Ray volunteered to go outside and fetch more from the well, which was located at the rear of the property. It was a chance for him to cool off, and he enjoyed the peace and seclusion that was all around him on the farm. The bucket made a splash when he dropped it into the water below. He caught the sight of something just out of the corner of his eye as he began to pull the water bucket back to the top. He shifted his gaze to the night sky just above the last rays of sunlight as it was setting beyond the woodlands. Then there was something he never expected to see crossing the sky. It was a round, metallic object with the sunlight reflecting off the surface. The bright silver was leading a tail of smoke behind it. As Billy Ray described it later, it was, quote, real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. There were no wings or features that he was familiar with that should have been on an airplane or helicopter. It was unlike anything he had seen before. And what it was a drone. Say again? It was a drone. In 1955. (laughs) It's the first drone ever? I don't know. And they were testing it on a farm in Kentucky. Well, yeah. (laughs) Now, whatever the metal object was, it didn't make any sounds as it flew towards the farmhouse and then passed it. Just as it cleared the woods about a half a mile distant, it stopped in midair and dropped straight down. There was only a dull thud to indicate that the object had crashed to the ground. Hmm. The entire event was unlike anything Billy Ray had experienced before. He had barely remembered to grab the water pail before he ran back to the farmhouse. As soon as he opened the door, he announced to the group gathered together that he had just seen a spaceship. None of the group reacted at first. Then, after a few moments, the silence was broken up by raucous laughter. 
the entire family agreed at that time that this was just a joke that Billy Ray was attempting to pull on him. They thought it was hilarious. Lucky had only just recently told them a story about how the two of them played pranks on each other. Billy Ray, however, was the only person in the room not laughing. He seemed greatly concerned by what he had seen, and eventually the rest of the house realized that Billy Ray was not attempting to fool them. Once the humor wore off, they tried to calm the man down by explaining that the object he had seen was most likely just a meteor or a shooting star. The arguing continued for almost an hour before they realized that the family dog had been barking incessantly since Billy Ray had left to get the water. Unwilling to let it go or pass it off so casually, Billy Ray insisted that his friend Lucky accompany him to the well so that he could point out exactly where the spaceship had crashed and see if there was any smoke or other indications that there was something out there. Lucky was still unconvinced that this just wasn't an elaborate prank by his friend as the two of them walked outside and watched the skyline. Billy Ray pointed out to where he thought the spaceship crashed, and darkness was beginning to completely cover the land, making it difficult to see anything. The one thing Lucky was sure of, however, was that there was no trails of smoke from any wreckage anywhere to be seen. He was at a loss of what he should do next. It was obvious that Billy Ray had seen something, and it had frightened him. And so is that the end of the story? No. Okay, thank goodness. Because it took an hour for them to get curious after him not, and then the dog barking constantly? Well, I guess there was a lot of history between Lucky and Billy Ray of playing pranks on each other. Both of them worked in a carnival, so it was kind of their thing to try and one-up each other. True. Okay. Continue, please. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, finally convinced that they were not going to see any indications of the wreckage or the appearance of the spaceship, the two men were about to turn away from the woods and back to the house when there was a sound of a snapping branch. Both refocused their attention to the darkness of the woods. Chapter 2, Coming from the Tree Line. Their eyes quickly adjusted to the increasing darkness. With their night vision improving, in the distance area between the trees was a very soft and very dull glowing light low to the ground. They focused their attention on it. They could tell that the light was making its way towards them. It was impossible to identify what the source of the light was. It was too dim to have been a flashlight, and there just wasn't any focus to it. It simply appeared to be a steady glow moving out of the tree line. Both watched as it made its way closer. It wasn't until it was 20 feet away from them that they realized that the entire situation was too unusual and that there was something terribly wrong about the entire situation. They were in shock, disbelieving their very eyes as the light began to take shape as a small man-like figure. It was only three feet tall, with short slender legs and long thin arms. The source of the light was its large saucer-like eyes which glowed yellowish in the darkness. On either side of its oversized and almost perfectly round head were large pointed ears. Worst part is that the creature wasn't walking towards them, but instead, and more shocking, it was floating across the grass field. The body seemed to shimmer silver as if the little man was clothed all in metal. 
It took a few moments, but once the men regained their senses, they could tell that the glowing figure was moving steadily closer towards them. Shouting to one another, the two men turned from the woods and ran into the house, slamming the front door behind them. Glenny was waiting for the two of them to return by the door along with the remainder of the family in the parlor. As the matriarch, and being no nonsense, she demanded to know what the commotion was all about. There's something in the woods near the house, Lucky replied. Something strange. We'd best stay inside. Of course, the mother didn't believe a word of it. She shook her head, believing that everything was just another joke being put on by Billy Ray and him. She didn't approve of them doing something that would frighten the younger children so close to their bedtime. She promptly turned to them and sent the youngsters off to bed. Rather than discussing the situation any further with his mother, Lucky retrieved a 12-gauge shotgun along with his 22 rifle. Handing the rifle to Billy Ray, he instructed his friend to guard the back door while he would monitor the front. Together, they prepared for anything. That's crazy. I would have took my gun and went after it. You know, who's to say it's going to come back to their house? Well, it was already heading towards their house. Yeah. And they weren't worried about what it did outside. They were just worried about it coming into the house or coming after them. Yeah, I guess because, you know, they're not out there to search for that. So they might be scared. I think they were pretty scared just the start of it. And Glennie was beginning to become upset with just how far the two men were taking this joke. Yeah. And she was about to put an end to it. However, there was a scraping sound that caused her to turn to the back door. She suddenly spotted a small figure standing at the rear of the house and screamed. Inside or outside? It was outside. Okay. Yeah, I guess, you know, now that I think about it, I, you know, I don't know. I, I tend to think of myself running after stuff, but I'd probably be barricaded in the house, scared too. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. So I got to give these people a little slack. Well, good, because <laughs> we have to continue on with chapter three, the ambush of the little men. Oh, hell. Her blood-curdling scream alerted Billy Ray, who immediately took aim at the little man on the other side of the screen door. His hands were now raised above his head as if it was held up at gunpoint. Billy Ray watched as it floated closer to the back door and fired. Rude. The bullet pierced the netting of the screen door and appeared to strike the creature, which tumbled backwards with a metallic rattling sound. After its flip backwards, it rose uninjured and then moved off at incredible speed back into the trees. That poor little thing. That poor little thing was joined by another one because a similar creature <laughs> then appeared in through a side window. Oh. <laughs> Billy Ray caught sight of this one and fired again this time tearing the bullets through the window screen. The little man still appeared to be resistant to any gunfire and leaped backwards to disappear. June, <laughs> the wife of Billy Ray, went out into the hallway and crouched down next to her husband. Then she saw one approaching the door. She described it as, quote, it looked like a five gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was shimmering bright metal, just like my refrigerator. Wow, so they're not green. Billy Ray felt more confident by watching the creature's retreat. He dared to step out onto the porch and outside the small overhanging roof while aiming his rifle towards the woods. So now he's taking your advice. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
Those behind him saw what could only be described as a spindly claw-like hand oh, Lord. with long talons reach down from the roof and make a grab for Billy Ray's hair. <laughs> the group screamed and reached out from the parlor to pull him backwards into the house. Lucky then stepped outside to point his shotgun up towards where the hand had appeared. There was a loud bang of the weapon and another one of the creatures floated from the roof to the ground. It had the same metallic rattle before it raced off into the woods, also seemingly uninjured. This is interesting. Once everyone was back inside, Lucky's brother, JC, had collected his own 20-gauge shotgun and joined the other two men. None of the three of them knew exactly what type of creatures they were dealing with, but what they did know was that there was more than one of them and they all appeared to be completely impervious to bullets. Everything for the moment was quiet, enabling the family to gather their courage and exchange ideas about what they were dealing with. For the next several hours, they spent the time listening for movements of the creatures around the house, hearing mostly occasional scratches on the roof. Their mother, Glenny, was deeply religious as well as superstitious, and she began to question whether they might be demons sent by the devil himself. She kneeled on the floor and put her hands together and prayed for the Lord to deliver them from evil. Lucky wondered if they were cave goblins, which many of the hill folks in those parts would tell stories about. Billy Ray had his own opinions. He was sure that these were creatures from that spaceship that he had watched crash earlier that evening. Hmm. The silence was suddenly broken by a shrill scream coming from the direction of the children's bedroom. They had been told to stay in the other room for their own safety. However, one of the youngsters came running down the hall saying that they had just seen a strange face with large glowing eyes looking at them through their bedroom window. Lucky asked his mother to take the children into a room at the rear of the house and suggested that his brother JC accompany them for protection. Both Lucky and Billy Ray would then return to their guard post at either door. It wasn't long after that that there was another scream coming from the back room with the children. One of the strange faces now appeared at that window, followed by another shot and the sound of breaking glass as JC unloaded his 20-gauge shotgun into the window. However, the gunfire only caused the little man to bounce backwards, unhurt, and run into the darkness and out of sight. The family would spend the next two hours being terrorized by the small entities appearing and disappearing. Noises could be heard on the roofs, faces would appear and disappear at the windows, and the family would look outside to see a number of these creatures moving about in the yard or perched up in the trees near the house. Outside, it was eerily silent, so they turned on every light in the house and waited in hopes that this would keep them away. Most of the appearances seemed to center on where the children were, even though they never really tried to enter the residence itself. The three men made sure to fire at them should they ever get too close for comfort. Between Billy Ray, Lucky, and JC, they estimated that there was probably three or four of the strange beings in total, and more than a hundred rounds were fired throughout the ambush. <laughs> That's quite interesting. So the story is getting a little bit more violent, a little bit more terrifying. Right. Maybe they eat children. They're hungry. Well, I think that concern did cross their minds, and that's they were not going to find out what the creatures wanted once they got inside the house. Yeah. 
Or maybe they thought the children were, you know, more like them because they were small. And it is true. other they ones were, were kind of scary. The aliens were three feet, so the younger children would be more their size. Yeah. Then, you know, they didn't have guns. Save me, save me. <laughs> well, this all continued, and at about 1130 at night, there seemed to be a quiet. There hadn't been any activity or sounds from the creatures. So they believed that maybe the little men had left. The family gathered everyone up and rushed out the door. They piled into two trucks and drove to the police station in Hopkinsville. Chapter 4, The Police Investigation The desk sergeant on duty didn't know what to make of their story. He thought the whole story sounded just like a joke much like everyone else involved in this story so far. He was convinced that someone was pulling his chain, but he had no choice but to take the matter seriously. He was concerned about the part of the story involving there being a gun battle and might have taken place between the local residents. He picked up his phone and arranged for the immediate dispatch of officers to the scene. The officer phoned Chief Russell Greenwell, who in turn radioed the Kentucky State Police, the Christian County Sheriff's Office, and Fort Campbell Army Base, which dispatched its own police personnel. The local paper got wind of it and sent their own staff photographer. In all, four city police officers, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs, and four military police officers from nearby Fort Campbell all arrived on the scene at the Sutton Farmhouse. The investigators found extensive damage to the property. There were bullet holes, screen doors which had been peppered with gunfire, windows that had been blasted through, and bullet shot embedded into the frames of the doors and windows. Various shell casings were scattered throughout the home. It looked like a war zone. The authorities searched the grounds and the fields of the property with flashlights. It was evident that something significant had taken place, but there was no physical evidence of any of the attackers. The entire property was devoid of any evidence. One officer noticed something glowing in the distant trees, but a search of that area returned nothing. Lucky identified the spot where he had apparently shot one of the beings. The officers found a stain that gave off an odd sheen when viewed from a certain angle, but there just really wasn't nothing to collect or sample. It appeared that the creatures, whatever they were, had left and taken any proof of their existence with them. The family was interviewed separately at long lengths, and all gave the same consistent account of the night's events. The descriptions of the little men that they had besieged the farmhouse was also identical from each of them. Neighbors also somewhat corroborated their story, saying that they had seen the same strange lights in the woods and they just assumed it was the Suttons looking for one of their pigs that had been escaped. They would also report that they heard the gunfire later in the night, but believed that the family were trying to scare off a bobcat which was worrying their livestock. After hours of investigations from all the different forms of police officers and without any real progress, the officers felt that they had exhausted all of their efforts and therefore departed the scene. That's pretty interesting. Still want to know why I've never heard anything about this. Um, I mean, I haven't heard everything, I'm sure. Well, there's more to the story. And I haven't really searched aliens. I just searched horror stuff. True. 
Now, neighbors swooped in on the Sutton property the next morning, obviously curious about the rumors. It seems the entire town was abuzz with different stories circulating around in the aftermath of the incident. However, they arrived at the farmhouse only to find that no one was home. Well, yeah. Chapter 5, Abandoning the Farmhouse. It would be discovered later that Glennie had woken up at 3.30 in that morning after a restless nap. No one had really been able to get any real sleep. She awoke to the sight of one of the yellow-eyed creatures staring at her through the bedroom window. Is this a different night? This is the same night after okay. the police had left. Okay. They had tried to settle down for the rest of the night thinking that everything had ended. Okay. However, at 3.30... The strange glowing beings had returned during the night, and its claw-like hand was on the screen, reaching towards Glennie. She cried out for the men, but it left again as soon as the rays of sunlight had appeared on the horizon. The family and their guests had not been far behind. They had left in the trucks, terrified beyond belief, and they didn't want to return to the home for quite some time. Over the next few months, there would be a media circus existing for both local as well as national news. There were publications, radio, and TV stations all wanting to interview the Sutton family and their friends. Hmm. In the beginning, the Suttons were very willing and very open about what had happened. However, they soon discovered the true agenda behind this interest. The media was only there to ridicule and report that their disbelief over everything that happened. The Suttons were portrayed as ignorant or fraudulent, and basically they were being taken advantage of. Yeah. Because of this mistreatment, they became introverted regarding what had happened and refused to comment any further. I don't blame them. The family attempted to post no trespassing signs to keep people away from the farmhouse. And when these proved useless at discouraging them, the family tried charging admission. 50 cents for entering the grounds, a dollar for information, ten dollars for taking pictures. The worst part is, is that when the news of their charging fees happened, skeptics blasted them as fortune-seeking fakes. Of the lucky few who did manage to speak to members of the family in the months, years, and even decades afterwards, all would comment on how each of their stories remained unchanged and startlingly similar to each other's despite the amount of time that had passed. After the constant harassment from reporters and souvenir hunters, Glennie and her family vacated the property. It wasn't just the barrage of unwanted reporters and UFO fanatics that drove them away. It was the constant fear that those little men, whatever they were, would one day return. Geraldine Stith, the granddaughter of Glennie, stated that her grandmother was so shaken up by the encounter that she sold the farmhouse and moved to an apartment in town. She was quoted as saying that she felt safer around other people. Yeah. And also, not, but not her family. <laughs> well, considering they held off an alien invasion, I would think that I would trust them to keep me safe very well. Not true. But whatever happened that night did have an effect on her uncle, JC, as well. She said that he just couldn't hold down a job anymore. It psychologically messed with him. Hmm. So to me, it sounds like he had PTSD. Right. That's weird. Yeah. So now what do you think of the uh, aftermath of this case? That's interesting. 
it is sad that the family had to take so much abuse and be treated so poorly for this to happen to right but so this was like the first ever so what everything's based off of you said what it is is that when you think of a stereotypical alien invasion right this story was the first that was covered worldwide and in such detail that it pretty much became the standard for what people think of when they think of aliens invading so i wonder if that's why people also make fun of country folk and all that that say they saw aliens and they saw ufos and you know well pretty much anyone who claims that they saw something different whether it is bigfoot whether it is a ghost or whether it is aliens it's always going to get treated with this kind of a uh, ridicule yeah i really only see it with aliens though no i mean bigfoot and things you have people that want to go out and hunt it well you have a lot of people who want to go out and find ufos too scully and Mulder. yes okay i'm with you i'm with you okay now that we have all the story let's talk about some of the evidence that proves or disproves the case damn we have evidence too sort of okay many of the police officers who attended the scene that night would attest to the family state of utter panic along with the amount of damage caused to their property Many of the police officers who attended the scene that night attested to the family's state of utter panic along with the amount of damage caused to the property. They would go on to declare on record that they had no doubts whatsoever that the family and their guests experienced something, but whether or not it had anything to do with extraterrestrials was another matter. Most of the evidence involving this case was documented in newspapers and television reports. Like I mentioned, this is very well covered in multiple details. There are multiple articles with interviews of the family that had been given, and this is the information we have. However, Geraldine Stith has come forth saying that much of the information was misinterpreted and has written two books giving the family's actual story directly from them oh, and wow. how it has been passed down through the generations. Hmm. So that's a book we need to read. Two of them. Actually, I have one of them on my Kindle. Oh. Your uh, Kindle? Well, I read off the laptop, but yeah, it's a Kindle edition. Okay. Other information concerns the official testimonies given to the law enforcement. Quote, these aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help, police chief Russell Greenwell would later tell investigators. What they do is reach for their guns. Yet, here they were, women and children all hysterical and one man with a pulse of 140 beats per minute measured by one of the investigators. This family was frightened. A diagram was drawn by a local radio station employee and artist, Andrew Bud Ledwith, of The Little Man, as described by Elmer, Lucky Sutton, J.C. Sutton, and O.P. Baker. A copy of this image will be added to our Facebook page, but it basically describes the alien, pretty much how the classic little green men are thought of in today's cultures. And while the incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force UFO investigation program known as Project Blue Book, documents suggest that its team never officially pursued the matter beyond checking in with their Fort Campbell counterparts who had been briefly at the scene that first night. So now we can start talking about the different theories. When we're discussing our theories, let's first talk over the misidentification, the meteor theory. 
In 2006, Joe Nickel, who is a senior research fellow of the International Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and a self-styled paranormal investigator himself, reviewed the accumulated evidence in an article entitled Siege of the Little Green Men, the 1955 Kelly, Kentucky incident. That's crazy. Yeah. In it, he raised suspicion about what he called Billy Ray Taylor's embroidered testimony. He matched Taylor's UFO sighting with similar reports from that day, which suggested that there was an actual small meteor in the vicinity. Therefore, a documented meteor could have been exactly like what the family initially told Billy Ray. However, a meteor doesn't act in the manner that Billy Ray had described. And it is a strange coincidence that the silvery object he saw occurred on the same night as the little men's attack. Yeah, it's quite the coincidence. So, so a lot of people were trying to claim that it was a meteor. But who's to say a meteor is not some kind of a extraterrestrial? So it's a UFO. That's the land disguise. somewhere. Yeah. Huh? Who's who's to say? Now, as far as the little men, skeptics have also argued that this was a case of mistaken identity, perhaps agitated by excessive alcohol consumption. Joe Nickel also theorized that what the family had actually seen were a pair of mating great horned owls. After all, these are very large nocturnal birds which do have yellow eyes, long ears, and round heads. They fly silently and do aggressively defend their territory. As a way of explaining the metallic shine, Nichols suggests that they could have easily been reflecting the moonlight off their feathers. Mm. Mm -hmm. The descriptions of the creatures given by the family do somewhat loosely fit these characteristics, but there are a couple of glaring issues. First, the Suttons describe the entities as being around three and a half feet in height, which is much larger than the maximum height of the great horned owl. Secondly, these birds would almost always attack from higher up, and they would not and could not hover slowly just mere inches above the ground when zeroing on a target. Or peer into someone's window. That'd be weird. Very strange behavior. Alice talking. The final issue, and perhaps the most obvious, is that great horned owls are not bulletproof. <laughs> and they certainly do not rattle like tin cans when shot at. Yeah. You have to remember, there was at least a hundred rounds fired. Absolutely. And there was no evidence of any owls, feathers, blood, nothing on the fields. Right. It would be really hard to believe that three men who are experienced with rifles missed a hundred times on shooting at an owl. Plus they said they didn't miss. So they said they hit it and it fell backwards and sounded like a tin can. So it makes the great horned owl theory pretty hard to believe. Yeah, absolutely not. Other than the face. Because they said they had arms, not wings. They said no wings. No, they said nothing about wings. Right. Another theory, and the least one that's talked about, is the theory that skeptics say that the little men were actually monkeys. Monkeys? That Billy Ray and Lucky <laughs> had brought back from the carnival. Oh, wow. Now, both men did work for a traveling carnival and would not have been beyond utilizing monkeys as part of an elaborate prank. However, there's just no records that they worked with these types of monkeys, much less traveled across the country with them. Much less stole them from the carnival and didn't go to jail. And released them to the woods. So, yeah. 
I'm mentioning this because it's kind of a neat little theory, but it doesn't hold much water. No. So, little men, not monkeys. No. Once we finish with the misidentifications, we do have to bring up the hoax theory. Always. Skeptics will always fall back on the possibility that the family were intoxicated or simply fabricated the entire incident for financial gain. The police found... What? I was going to say, they charged 50 cents. Even back then, I mean, 50 cents can't be that much. $10, that's something. Well, yes, they didn't charge that kind of a money. Well, they did, $10 for pictures. True. All of that's true. But police found no evidence whatsoever that the Suttons or their guests had been drinking alcohol on the night in question. According to the Sutton matriarch, Liquor was not allowed in the farmhouse. The police also doubted that a relatively poor family would destroy their own property as part of a hoax. Absolutely. The family never made any real money from their story, even though they had ample opportunity to, and the repair costs would have created an extra burden which they simply couldn't afford. These were poor people. Mm-hmm. Now, there were accounts of people being charged a fee to enter the property in the wake of the incident, which the Suttons readily admitted to, but they stated that this was just their way of deterring unwanted visitors. Right, and I I don't think that was enough to... They definitely weren't going to buy a new house off of the money they were charging people to come on their property. So if we don't like the misidentification theories and we don't believe it's a hoax then we have to talk about this being an actual extraterrestrial encounter okay even though the story seems beyond incredible many of the families friends and neighbors vouched for the integrity of the family during the years following the encounter so that's a hard one when you have so many people backing you up that aren't your family they stated that it would have been completely out of character for any of them to create a hoax of this in magnitude. Not one of the families sought the spotlight and the attention that they were receiving. In fact, they shied away from the fame and the fortune altogether. After being made fun of, their side of the story is what they said it was. They were reluctant victims of something that they were not able to fully understand and that the less they had to do with it, the better. Also remembered, there was a neighbor about a quarter mile north of them that noticed the same lights in the woods behind the Sutton farm. Hmm. They mistakenly believed that the family was searching for one of their pigs that had gotten out. There was no doubt about the light. It did exist. Only doubts was what was the actual source of it. Right. So would you believe that this could be an actual extraterrestrial encounter? Well, I, I don't know if that's a yes or no I mean, that is a yes or no question, but I don't know if that's a... I have a yes or no answer. I mean, it's interesting, and it does hold water. And I can't say they're lying, but then again, being that no one's ever seen any all these years. In today's culture, there still exists a lot of support for this Hopkinsville's goblins. Right. They've created a Little Green Men Days festival. Yay! Yeah, unfortunately, it got canceled for 2021 because I'll of COVID. That. But it is usually held at the end of August. Basically, they have live music, arts and crafts, treats and rides, and activities for kids of all ages. It's really interesting because if you look at pictures of it going to their website, a lot of people dress up as aliens in silver costumes or 
well, yeah. know, cream face paint. So everyone has a great fun day with it, uh, reenacting aliens and low green men. <laughs> Another bit of trivia for you is that the 1986 comedy horror film Critters is loosely based on the Kelly Hopkinsville case. I've seen that movie, of course. You know, it was like in 1986. Well, now you have to watch it again, and yeah. you'll be like, "Oh wow, I do see the similarities between this and what? the aliens invading the Hopkinsville's family." Huh. Okay. Here's the biggest trivia I want to make sure that everyone knows: is that this incident is where the term "little green men" came from. Okay. However. The claim that they had been visited by little gray men was misquoted in the press, resulting in little green men. I was going to say, never did they say green. Never did they say green. They were always little silver men. But the press misquoted them and it turned from little gray men to little green men that we know of today. And Kelly is a green. So all of that. (laughs) I did not make that connection before. (laughs) So now, whenever you hear that term, Little Green Men, you know exactly where it came from and that it was completely and totally inaccurate for this case. That's awesome. So putting all of this together, uh, what are some of your final opinions? I definitely enjoyed this story. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would when we were talking about it. Because I'm not much on aliens, but this was pretty interesting. It captured the nation's attention and still does I want to check that out. I want to... I want to do some little researching on my own now. Of why I don't know about it. <laughs> well, I that's why I am here, babe. That's why you married me is so that I would tell you all the things you don't know. Ah, oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Being sure to watch the windows for the peering eyes of little green men. I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for the introduction music. For those who want to learn more about the Kelly Green Men, be sure to check out the following two books, The Kelly Green Men, Alien Legacy Revisited, and Alien Legacy, both written by Geraldine Sith, who is the granddaughter of the family. There's also The Kelly Hopkinsville's UFO and Alien Shootout by George Dudding and Liz Lamack. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this podcast on to help promote the show. We are on all social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with aliens of your own. I would love to read some reviews. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. We love stories and hearing about your own personal experiences. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Hopkinville Goblins, and we'll come again for another episode. Please spread the word to your friends who would enjoy listening to our tales about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely and perhaps a little bit more curious. Goodbye, everyone. Nanu, nanu.